Um, please open to your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one somewhere around the seat back in front of you. Um, if you do not own a Bible, you don't have a Bible, take that one that's in the seat back in front of you. Put your name in it. It's now yours. So we want everybody to have a Bible. Um, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 18 this morning, which I'll read in just, uh, or 12 through, well, I don't know, it's theoretical, 12 through 18 this morning. Um, I'll read those in just a minute. But again, uh, while you make your way to 1 John chapter 2, verse 12, I'd like to remind us of where we are in this letter that John is writing to the church. As Pastor Marcus taught, and as I kind of reiterated last week, uh, a very helpful way to look at the bo book of 1 John is a book of proofs, a book of proofs, a, a way to see if you are actually walking in fellowship with God or if you are not. A lot of people claim that they're Christians. A lot of people say, hey, man, I love God. They say, I'm following the Lord. A lot of teachers say, I'm teaching you about God and all this type of stuff. And it doesn't have to be that kind of accent, but we can all do that, right? But we want to know, is that true? Is, is the proof is it really there? And John, uh, you know, as an apostle, um, he is looking at the church. He's looking at this group of believers he's writing to, and, and there be, had become an infiltration of false teachers, not only within the culture, the culture of, of the Greek thought had kind of imposed itself upon the church, but also within the church, that, that um, Gnostic philosophy, I'm not going to get into it this morning, had infiltrated the church, various people within the church. And so, therefore, things that were taught started to conflict with what they had been taught through the Apostle John. The foundational uh, teachings of the gospel of Jesus Christ had now become countercultural in many ways. And so, it always had been. But so John has them in mind, and he wants them to know, listen, um, are you truly walking in the light? Are you really walking in fellowship with God? Because if so, your life is going to look like this no matter what you say. No matter what people are teaching you, if, if the ends of what they're teaching don't look like this, then it's not walking in the light. And boy, today, do we need you know, the Lord's wisdom through the Apostle John more than ever. And so this is happening to us today as we are infiltrated. We see this manifesting itself uh, not only in pulpits. It is happening in pulpits where people are teaching things that are contrary to Christ. They can tell you, um, you know, you can love God, but you can live however you want as long as it flows with the culture or flows however you want. Um, another thing is we, is we kind of look at false teaching as just something that's manifested behind the pulpit. No, it's not. There's a philosophy of this age that's going around everywhere. It's, we see it manifested through political influence. On, and you can, it's manifested throughout the spectrum that we are being pulled to political ideologies that are not biblical all over the place. Uh, we see it in and among uh, our media and the things that they espouse. And through our educational system, instead of education, it becomes an, a re-education program. And so don't, don't think that these false teachers are just behind pulpits. Yes, they are, but they are everywhere. We are living in a fallen world. And the enemy isn't just going to use pastors to lead you astray. He's going to use culture. He's going to use philosophy. He's going to use politics. He's going to use someone you really admire and love that's in a position of respect, but they're going to pull you straight because it counters what God clearly says. And so, church, we need to have the proofs in front of us. We need to walk in those proofs. And, and John, as a good, loving, obedient disciple of Jesus Christ, looks at the church that God's entrusted him and says, I'm going to give you what the Lord gave me. This is how you know whether or not you're walking in the light. And so, with great care, John gives proofs of the fellowship. And briefly, um, in chapter 1, John, uh, we went over last week, in verse six, uh, 6, just says in a very broad term, he says, if we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, the pattern of our life is in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. What you practice shows what you are part of. That's important. A good tree does not bear bad fruit. A bad, fruit, bad tree does not bear good fruit. And so in a very general sense, the general proof that someone is walking with God is their life patterns after the Lord. 
That's a very simple way of looking at it. Light and darkness is the metaphor he uses here for either fellowship with God or fellowship with Satan in the world. Another proof is in verse 7 of chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. He says, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ uh, uh, cleanses us of all sin. Proof that we have fellowship with God is that we're in fellowship with one another. People who walk in the light walk in the light together. That's what church is. Church isn't just us getting together on Sunday morning. It's a group of people who are devoted to the Lord, who walk in His light, and we share in that walk together, the light we walk in. Proof that we have fellowship with God is that we have fellowship with other believers. And that word for fellowship is, is kind of a, we hear it, it sounds like old English. It's, it's, the word is koinonia, to even make it more confusing. Um, it's koinonia, which means that we, 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 we are giving constantly, we are looking for other people's needs, and what you need, I'm going to give out of my time, my talent, my treasure. That's what koinonia is. That's actually what true community is. And so a group of believers, the church is a group of people who have been redeemed by a God of love, who's given them so much grace in this life, who's gifted them each individually in a specific way. When they, they can't help but walk according to His Word, and when they get together, they can't help but give according to others' needs out of what they have. Isn't that neat? Don't you want that? Don't you have something to give? Like, I'm not talking, uh, you know, let's pass the plate, you know. No. I mean, don't you, your life, don't you, you're made for something, don't you have time and, and talents and treasures that God has given you that, that need to be poured out into other people's lives, amen? That's where you find purpose, that's where you find true meaning, and actually in the light, that's what you were designed to do, to give your life away to God in Christ and give it to one another. And that's what that koinonia, that fellowship is, and in that we have true friendship. Like I said, we can gather together and be alone. But when we're walking in the light together, when we're in Christ together, we have true fellowship. That's another indicator. I don't want to re-preach what we had already been preached. Sorry about that. But another, uh, another proof is that when we hang out in the light, guess what gets exposed? Darkness, of which we've all been redeemed. How many of you guys have darkness in your life? All hands go up because all of a sudden fallen short of the glory of God. But see, our aim isn't to remain in the darkness. Our aim is to walk in the light. Well, how do I know? I mean, uh, you know, how many of you have, have gone uh, to the doctor and, and they, ran your, your, uh, they ran your blood? And you found out things about you you did not know, <laughs> things you'd rather not know. Boy, that cholesterol's high or whatever it might be. Anybody else? Just me. Okay, gotcha. Um, more of an more of an as-you-go type of thing, but you find out things, and then you, those things are exposed. Well, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to remain in it, or are you going to change? And so, so it is with the body of Christ. We hang around one another. We're in each other's lives. We're walking in the light, and, and the darkness, hopefully, just by being around one another, there's a, there's a process of purification, but sometimes it doesn't go away. So what we do is we lovingly encourage one another and confront one another with truth and love, as the Lord does with us, right? And we confess our sin. That's the next thing we do is we confess our sin. First John 1, 9 says, what if we sin, what do we do? We confess it to Him, and He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of. How much unrighteousness? All. It's a beautiful thing to be in the body of Christ. As I keep saying, the church is essential, not just gathering together, but the light, the people of the light gathering together. We need to be in each other's lives because if not, we gravitate towards our stupid darkness and we huddle down in it as we've all experienced the past year. And that was not a good experiment. We need to be together. We need to be in the light together. And so fellowship in the light exposes darkness. It leads us to the cross who freely forgives us. Chapter 2, verse 3 through 5, another proof. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in Him, but whoever keeps His word in Him, truly the love of God is perfected. We went over this last week, but keeping the commandments of God leads us to love. It doesn't lead us to legalism. Now, if, and if you could just sum this up, it's obedience. We're people who obey the Lord. Obey the Lord. We don't obey culture. We don't obey what all the world tells us to do. We obey our Lord. Amen? 
above and beyond. That's who we are. We're Christians. We follow the Lord. Even at the cost of, of persecution, even at the cost of ostracization, which he experienced, didn't he? But we follow him. Our love for him is supreme. And if we love him, Jesus says, you're, 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 that's going to show in your obedience. If you love me, you'll obey me. And then that leads to the next command, the next proof. It says, if you love me and you'll obey me, it's going to show in how you love one another. That's another proof that John gives. He says, you know what? If you're mine, if you're truly mine, all these things are going to be happening in your life as fruits. They're going to be evidences of your faith, and it's going to result in your love. If you love me, you're going to love one another. How? As I have loved you. And so there's that command for love. Christians should love. And by the way, we should, we should walk as Christ walked. That's another proof. And so there's a lot there. In, in 1 John 2.10, John says, uh, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. And so a major proof that Christians are truly Christians is their love for one another. And by the way, that love does not just stop with us. It rolls out into the world. We love our enemies. Amen. The world is your enemy, and not in the sense that we go attack it, but they are to be saved and loved and won and wooed and bought, but not submitted to. So major proof that a Christian is truly Christian is that their love for one another. Now, if you're like me last week, how many of you as you've gone over that just go, hey, you know, it got some good things going, and then how many of you go, oh, oh Lord, please, why did you even save me? Anybody else? Like you got a little bit, <laughs> a little bit of both of those going on, a little bit of conviction. So there's, a, there's the encouragement and the conviction, and this is what happens when we come before the Word of God. We get cut and we get healed. It's awesome. It's just, that's how it works. The Lord is truth and He's love, and He puts those together in a glorious way. And so on one hand, we get encouraged, and one hand, we get you know, not discouraged, but encouraged to move on. It's like a coach. Um, but it's good to see with clarity the things that we're doing well in the Lord. It's good for our hearts, isn't it? You know, when, when you read these things and you see, man, Lord's really grown me in these areas. That's, that's proof that, that I'm His and He's mine. I love that. I, I, seeing these things happen. But then there's these areas of conviction, which are the Holy Spirit is saying, tighten this up, right? Walk with me. You're not walking in the light. It's not how we roll in this family. And so conviction of the Spirit, when we listen to Him, it leads to joy. And that's what John's saying. I want you to have joy. It leads to fellowship with God, fellowship with one another. And that's what we need to experience in this walk is joy. And it's not a manufactured joy. It's, it's a fruit of the Spirit. Now, this can all weigh heavily on us, and I think John has that in mind. I think he's just laid out a lot of things. Remember, this church has been listening to some people probably who they shouldn't have. And he kind of goes to him, he goes, and he lays these things. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. If you say this and you do this, that's not true. And there's got to be a little bit of heaviness going on there. And so as he looks at them, I think these are difficult things. And here's the, here's the thing, church. It's, I feel the same way. It's like he's got to continue on to say the difficult things. He's got to continue on. But he knows everybody's kind of a little bit, kind of like, wow, that's a lot to take in. And so what I think he does is he sets down his pen for a second, and he looks at him and he goes, man, I love these, I love this church. I love these people. And he picks back up his pen, and he kind of starts speaking to the church as a spiritual family, and he groups them into three groups. He speaks to the, he speaks to the children, he speaks to the young men, and he speaks to the fathers. And these are all just basically... Uh, pictures, word pictures for different levels of spiritual maturity, okay? And, and, he, and he talks to them affectionately. And he says to them, so he says to him in verse 12, after saying these heavy proofs, he says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Isn't it good to hear that after hearing all these <laughs> this heavy stuff? I'm writing to you, little children, because you have been forgiven for his name's sake. It's like, oh, we all need encouragement, don't we? And he goes there, man, because your sins have been forgiven. Now, there's two ways John could be speaking here. And I, and I want to reiterate this, because what he does is he'll, he'll talk to children, he'll talk to uh, fathers, and then he'll talk to young men. And then he'll go back and talk to children, fathers, and young men. And he says, uh, so he kind of repeats some things, some things he doubles. He, um, but 
There's two ways in which John could be talking to using the term little children here, and I believe that both are kind of implied, but one is, is probably the true. The first sense is that John is addressing the entire church as little children. He's saying little children. Now, if I called you all little children, you'd be going smack, right? John's 90 years old, 90-something years old. He's an apostle. He's been walking with the Lord for a long time. He is a spiritual father in every sense of the word. And then he commands the respect of, of the church, amen? Not because of all this stuff, but because of what he's been through. And he's, he's one who's walked with the Lord. And, and you got to remember that. So, um, and, and what he's doing is simply calling them little children, because guess what Jesus called he and the disciples when they were walking with him? He calls them little children. You can find that back in uh, Matthew 10, 42 and eleven forty-five, But John's just addressing, and that's what I really believe he's doing here. He's just addressing them all as little children, little children. The word little child here is speaking of a child. It's not an infant. It's not a teenager. It's those little ones in between as a, as a child. And this is an affectionate term for all disciples, all who have become believers and followers of Jesus. That's what he's, that's what he's talking to. No matter what your spiritual... Uh, uh, status is. No matter how long you've been walking with the Lord, you've been walking for decades and you're a real mature believer or you're just now coming to the Lord, you're all little children to God. You're all His little kids. Amen? Amen. I love that. We've been forgiven for His namesake, God for His own glory, because He is forgiving, because that is His very nature. He forgave us in Christ Jesus. I love that. Now, I'm sure you have heard it said that everyone's God's child. I heard this at funerals a lot. We're all God's kid. No, we aren't. No, we're not. Don't believe it. We're not all God's children. I know in a sense that we all came from Adam. We all have been created. But what we're saying is we all belong to God. And, And I would say, yes, and you are accountable to God, every one of us. That's the scary part. But Here's the thing. Not everybody is a child of God. If you've repented and you've believed upon Jesus Christ, if you've been born again in the Spirit, the Spirit now indwells in you, if that transaction has taken place by you placing your faith in Jesus and Him making you new, guess what? You are now a child of God. That's what happens. You are born again, born into the light. You are by grace, a child of God. But those who are in this world, who remain in darkness, as we all used to be, none of us were physically born into the kingdom of God. We all have been born into darkness and rebellion. But those who are in this world, who remain in sin, are not God's children. They are not His kids. Jesus said in John 8, 43, 44, to a group of religious Jews, He says, why do you not understand what I say? And there's a lot there. Why can't you hear the spiritual words that I'm saying? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You cannot bear to hear it. It's not within you to hear what I have to say. Verse 44, why you are of your father, the devil, and your will, your walk, your direction is to do your father's desire. That's what your life is all about, your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he speaks, he lies out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So Jesus, this is not your flannel graph, Jesus. This is Jesus walking in the flesh on the earth, and he called very religious, stout Jews. He said, your father's of the devil. That's hardcore, isn't it? So it's possible to be religious. It's possible to um, have a knowledge of God. It's, ha- it's possible to do all those things and, and actually have, have, be not a part of the kingdom of God. When you think about it, who did Jesus come to first? He came to the Jews. He came to the Jews. He came to his own. So yikes, no, we're not all children of God. But as John said in his gospel, the gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 12 through 15, what did he say? The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. 
but to all, and this is the verse we all need to know, but to all who did receive him. How do you do that? Who believed upon his name, who believed upon the name of Jesus. Not That's a weird thing. But who believed that he died and rose again for you. He gave the right to become children of God. It's through faith in Christ that you're born again. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. Not born the way we're all born, but born again. Born of God. So you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Amen. If you have received Christ. If you received him as Lord and Savior. If you believed upon him. What grace. So that's why we spread the, spread the good news. Because we're living in a sea of dead people who need to be born again, of whom we were all a part of this. And as Paul says in Colossians 1, 13 through 14, hear this verse, Colossians 1, 13 through 14, these verses, he says, he has delivered us from the dominion or the domain of darkness and transferred us, conveyed us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so in one sense, everybody, so in one sense, John reminds all believers reading this that they are the Lord's children because they have been forgiven for his name's sake. Think about that. Ultimately, the reason why you've been forgiven is for his name's sake because that's who he is. He initiated forgiveness. He provided the means of forgiveness. And he forgave for his name's sake. All glory go to him. Amen. But in another sense, that's the one sense that uh, we're all God's children as believers. But in another sense, when John speaks to children, he's also addressing those who have just come to know the Lord, who aren't super mature in the faith. There's another sense in which he's addressing that. But I don't think this is what he's talking about in the first verse here. I think he comes back to that in a second. But when he says they're little children, he might be talking about them little, little children spiritually, spiritually in the sense that all they know is that the forgiveness of God. That's all they've come to know, that they, they've forgiven us for his namesake. And that's where we all start in the Lord. I mean, we start as little kids in the Lord, infants. So these children are, might be new believers, boys and girls, men and women who are recently born again, and uh, I think they're included here, but I don't think that's the focal point. So John starts off by addressing the church as little children. I know, how did you get all that out of that? But all believers are spiritual kids of God. Then verse 13 says, I'm writing to you fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. So we move from a broad sense of, of all of us who believe in the Lord, all different kinds of spiritual walks where you are with the Lord. And then he moves to who? The fathers. Who do you think that would represent? Hopefully the mature, the mature. And so we have that sense there. Uh, we, we have that focus here. We move from the broad children to the fathers. And the idea of the fathers here is a word picture for mature men and women who have grown in their intimate knowledge of the Lord. They are mature believers, God. The mature know God. And that's the thing, the mature know God. Do you know God? This is interesting. Do you know him or do you know about him? Do you know of him? The word for know here is gnosko, and I'm not going to get into too much of it, but the idea is that it means to come to know, to come to understand. It's a depth of personal knowledge. It's an in-depth personal knowledge of God. And so the first picture here, the picture of fathers here would be men and women who have had years of walking with the Lord and know Him intimately. They really know God. Now, we all know that we can know about something or we can know of something, and then you can really know someone. How many of you, like, for example, are experts in your field? You've been doing it for a while. You know the ins and outs of these things. And then there's other fields that might parallel yours, and, and you know of them, you know about them, you kind of understand them, but you really don't intimately know the ins and outs of how everything works. Well, that's not this. This is the first one where you really know something in and out. You're still growing in knowledge, but you, you've come to a mature understanding. Marriage is like this. 
you know, Christine and I have come to know each other more fully over the last 20 years. We've been married 20 years, June 2. And, you know, like God, I have a long way to go, uh, you know, learning about God. But uh, it isn't that I, I just know her stats, you know. <laughs> I know everybody's laughing, but, you know, oh, she's, you know, so high and she has brown hair. Now, that's not knowing. And I know everybody's laughing that you're married because you know what I'm talking about. You, you gnosko what I'm talking about. But, you know, you, you know, I've come to know her. I know her character. I know what she would do in situations. I know what she wouldn't do in situations. I know her thoughts. I know her thoughts about subjects, different subjects, tons of different subjects. I know what she likes, what she dislikes. I really know a lot of that stuff through experience. <laughs> you know, um, that's marriage, right? <laughs> She's laughing. And what, <laughs> Christine's being gracious, because what this is really revealing is I don't gnosco that much, you know? <laughs> but that, no, and she knows me, right? It's not just a cursely knowledge about, but you just, you know them inside and out. You know them. This doesn't come overnight. This isn't just an imparted thing. Some of us who have come to know the Lord, we know Him, but we know Him in a really simplistic type of way, which is beautiful. It's where we are in our walk with the Lord. Amen. We don't make light of that. That's, that's a beautiful grace. But to watch someone who's known the Lord and walked with Him and grown with Him in years, and you just see them mature and mature and mature and mature, it's like walking around here to, to see some of these beautiful uh, trees that are in like Pioneer Park. They're just majestic. They've been here for a long time. They've weathered a lot of storms. The roots go way down. There's a depth and a width to them. Their character is, you know, when we're talking about believers, there's a reflection of God and who they are at such a really deep level. I admire those people. When I grow up, I want to be like them. Amen? You see them in and around. It's just amazing. And we should all aspire to that. John's talking to the fathers. says, hey, fathers, hey, mature men and women of the church, those who know his character, his will, what God loves, what he hates, what he thinks about things, what he thinks about various situations going on in the world. How do you know that? Because you know him. It doesn't just appear. It comes through asking and seeking and knocking and finding over and over and over and over, just years of it, preoccupying yourself with Him. And you find Him. You see, God didn't just save you to keep you at arm's length. He didn't send His Son to bleed out on a cross and take the wrath and fury to keep you far away. He did that to bring you close, that you would know him as the son knew him before the foundations of the earth, intimately, face to face, forever and ever and ever in that love relationship. That's what he did. God didn't save you to keep you apart from him. He, he desires to bring you closer to him, and he's done all that is possible to remove sin from between you and him. And, and this accurate, mature knowledge of him is to be shaped through the lens of the Word of God. Otherwise, you get weird. Yes, there's an experiential knowledge that comes with knowing God, but it's always shaped through what He has said. In the beginning, as you look at the first three chapters, when Satan was there tempting Eve, she questioned, did God really say? And then he appealed to all her other senses instead of what he said. See, we... we there's a lot of things that we'd like to make sense of God in, and that He's a God of love, so therefore everything goes, and, and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, no, He reveals Himself exactly who He is to us as His creation, as His subordinates, as the ones who will give an account to Him. This is who I am. And He's revealed it from, from cover to cover in Scripture, and we see His character, how he, what He would do in certain circumstances. 
as he interacts with the people of Israel, as he, as he interacts with individuals. We see him in poetry and creation and law. We see him in all these different ways God painted himself. And this is revealed revelation. This isn't general revelation, which is the universe, the created world. But he's specifically shown us who he is. And then more importantly, as you look, and I say more importantly, the apex of all that is that he, he actually came into creation in his son to show us what he's like. So you want to know what God's like, you look at the son. Truth and love, full of mercy, long-suffering, compassionate, yet not moving one iota away from the righteous requirements of God's law, all fulfilled in his son. Man, what an amazing revelation of who he is. And so mature people, they they come to know God, that, that breadth, and that just doesn't happen. How many of you have a work field where you've got to learn something? You see someone who knows it, and you wish you could just do the Matrix thing where it downloads how to fly a helicopter in a second. <laughs> Sorry, I revealed old past. But you wish you could download all that stuff, right? It could just be there, but no, it grows over time. And that's what God's calling you to do, to grow with Him, to grow in Him. It's one of the things this last year has shown, shown me is, man, I wish I had more character during these times. I get pulled so much by my emotions. Anyone else? You're like, why aren't, why aren't I stalwart? Why aren't I just more fixed? This shows you need to grow more, right? You need to grow more. How? I just need to get more, more, more knowledge, more time with him more of his character in my life because he's stable, he's fixed, he's immovable, and he's fixed in truth and love and all the things that are right. And I just want to be like him. So mature people, they chew on the word. And, and how does that maturity come? I know this is kind of going over some stuff here, but it's described in Hebrews 5, 5.14. It comes through the word of God and through the lens of the word of God. Hebrews 5.14 says, but solid food is for the mature. Do you feed baby steak, infant steak? Don't do that. I mean, you can risk it, but they're not ready for it. What do they need? Milk. You know, they need to grow on the simple things. But he says here in Hebrews 5.14, but solid food is, milk is for the mature. Solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice, to distinguish good from evil. See, as you chew on the word of God, you understand the heart and the mind and the will of God. And as that becomes more and more a part of your being and you see how he works in circumstances and by his spirit, you begin to reflect him and mimic and all these types of things. Your discernment is, is, is sharpened, it's tuned. And man, we need a church today. We need pastors. We need people who are tuned to the will of God in this sea that we're living in. We can discern good and evil in the circumstances we face. But it's by constant practice. That just takes time, church. And we've got our lives. Amen? <laughs> so fathers, here are the first part of verse 13. Who are those who know the Lord deeply, who have known Him and who follow Him over a long period of time. And by the way, John says, you have known Him who is from the beginning. Real quickly, for those of you who, who know that I'm not addressing the Gnosticism here, um, which John is really addressing at the core of this, Gnosticism said that there was an original being, and then there was a bunch of emanations that came from that being, and then I, as a super cool, secret, you know, spiritual guy, I can get you on the ladder to know this knowledge, but I've got the secret knowledge to level 52, and if only you, you know, follow me, then you'll get up to 53. And eventually you'll know the one who originated it all, but you've got to do my 1995 course and all that stuff or whatever it is. Fund my Learjet, right? <laughs> what does he say to them? You've known him from the beginning. You know, you know him. You intimately know God. Don't fall for this. You guys know that. And we'll skip over a lot of things here. And then... It goes back to children. In the latter half of verse 13, I'm writing to you, um, sorry, did I skip over that? 
Excuse me. Yeah, so children and fathers, now he's writing to young men. And John writes to the young men, these would be those who are no longer children in the faith. How many of you kind of feel yourself like there? I'm not a Jedi, I'm not a Padawan, I'm kind of <laughs> in between. Yeah, John writes to the young men, and these would be those men and women, uh, those even, you know, young believers, uh, young, young in age, um, who are no longer infants. They don't, they've gone beyond the elementary understanding of the Lord, but, but they, aren't, they haven't walked long enough to be considered mature in the Lord. And John says he's writing to them, he says, because you have overcome the evil one. Now, one thing you know really quickly as soon as you come to the Lord, as soon as your life has been changed, is that you're in a war. Is that you're in a war, that you have a real enemy, a real adversary. That just becomes real quick in your life. How many of you know that and you sense it? There's a fight going on. There's a spiritual fight. You know, in this picture, once we come to know there's that spiritual battle taking place, and the battle that the enemy wages on you is to keep you in your crib. To keep you in your crib, to keep you immature, to keep you from growing, to keep you from walking in faith, to keep you from being Christ-like. If he can't save you, he's going to try to retard your growth. And he's going to do whatever he can to do that. And he will throw the world and the kitchen sink in your way to get you distracted from growing in Christ. He will do that. And he will play upon your fallenness to do that. And so these young men here represent those believers who have chosen to allow the Lord to grow, grow their faith, who have engaged in the spiritual warfare, who have overcome the enemy, as he says, in the areas that the enemy seeks to quell, to stop, to retard, to just disrupt. And so the battle rages for the believer who's growing to put off the old man and to put on the new. The battle for our minds, our attitudes, and our actions, the battle for our disciplines, our choices, our pursuits, our passions, our pleasures, our priorities, the battle to put God first, it's on. How many of you identify as Young men and women of the Lord in this area, it's like, man, I still don't have that figured out. The enemy is constantly pulling at believers to keep us immature. By the way, Pilgrim's Progress is an old classic you know, on that. By the way, I've only gotten halfway through it. <laughs> yeah, I'll let you chew on that for a minute. <laughs> and John will... Wrap around again to this, but we're just going to quickly go through these. But the, the, uh, what's the, he'll come back around to the key of that spiritual victory. But verse 13, he says, again, I'll write to you children at the end of verse 13, because you know the Father. Again, John goes back to the children. Basic faith, you know the Lord. They don't know much. There's things about kids. They don't know much, but they know their parents. Amen? They know their parents, and then the foundation is built from there. So to an infant Christ just knows the Father. This is the foundation. It's a good place to start. That's the only place we start, to know Christ, to know the Father. But let me say that spiritual infancy is a sad thing, and too many of us in the church are, are staying in the crib. It's not good. It's not healthy, and it's not right. Paul in 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, in Colossians 3 says, verse 1 says, Brothers, uh, but I, brothers, was it Corinthians? Yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning of verse 1 says, but, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as a people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you're not ready for it. So this church had major problems, Corinth. For you are still of the flesh, for while there is still jealousy, what are sim symptoms of childishness? Jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh behaving only in a human way? There's a lack of spiritual maturity there. I'm going to move on, but you get the idea. And then, he's, so being an infant is, is not fitting. It's only fitting for a time, right? Verse 14, let's finish this up. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. Again, he just repeats the same thing. And then lastly, back to the young men here. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. You want to know how to grow in Christ? Let the word of Christ abide in you and you will be strong and you will overcome the evil one. Let it abide. 
Again, Hebrews 5, 11 through 14 speaks to this, where he's writing to a church, and he wants to talk about the deeper things of Christ. Listen to this. He wants to talk about Melchizedek. You're going, what in the world is a Melchizedek? Exactly. He wants to talk about Melchizedek and how he's up as a representation of Christ. He wants to go further and explain these deep things, the pictures of the Old Testament and the reality of Christ and the new. But they aren't able to stay awake. They aren't able to comprehend. They aren't able to, they can't do it. The food's too big for them, and they've been in the crib for a long time. And he says to him about this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. For though, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you ought to be teaching this stuff. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled on the word of righteousness since he's a child, but solid food is for the mature. So let's not do that. But he says there, obviously, to the young men, let the word of God abide in you. Let it abide in you. And you're going to become mature. And this is so needed as we close in this fellowship in this place, in you and in me. It's needed. I know you're tired. I know you're hot. I know you want to go home. Right? Let's get that out of the way. <laughs> I'm looking at you. You guys are struggling. <laughs> I was waking up. I couldn't move my head this morning, and I'm just stiff-necked. But uh, <laughs> I don't want to be here either sometimes, but you know what? It's so needed. We're kids, right? We need the Lord. We need His Word. That's why we just choose to deny ourselves and gather together. But listen, this is needed. Because listen, the enemy face, we face in this world, the enemy we are facing right now in this culture, in this world, it's so under His influence. He is chewing up immature believers and spitting them out like nothing else. Why? Because they can't discern good and evil because they stayed in the crib. They would not abide. They would not chew. And someone came along and told them what they wanted to hear. And they got pulled out. Thank God God is powerful to even overcome all that stuff. Continue to pray. But just read these next verses. We'll go over them the next week. Now he goes back into the hard stuff. What does it say? Do not what? Do not love the world. Or the things what? in the world. Have a nice week. <laughs> what does it take? We need discernment and understanding of what in the world is being said there. We need to discern what is good and evil. What is God talking about? Like, okay, do I just float? Like, and pretend like I'm not here? Is that what he's saying? Don't love the world or anything in the world? What's he talking about? I can't garden? We better come to know. Because what does he say there as, he go, if, as you go on? If you have the love of the world, verse 18, or actually verse, uh, yeah, 16. No, sorry, it's right there in 15. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. See how John just goes light dark. Do you love the world? Do we know what that means? Do we have discernment? Have we grown beyond the infancy? You know, I just want to encourage you guys to go, oh, man, I really need to figure out what this means because there's implications there. Or verse 18, children, it's the last hour, and you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. What in the world are you talking about? I thought there's only one. Why are there many? What is this all about? And they're here, so what do we do? What? what we need discernment, church. We need growth. We need spiritual focus. Amen? Because we're living in some wild times, and the enemy is chumming the water for immature believers, and we need to look out for one another because we're not all there. Amen? You know, take heed lest you fall. You think you're something in the Lord? Man, we need each other. We need to stay in the light together and stay in that pool together and fellowship. So let me, let me just finish up. 
Spiritual growth is important. It's important to us, especially in the times we live in. Now, some of you are going, I really don't know anything. I'd really, you've, you've heard what I've been talking about, most of it, 90% over my head, or whatever it might be. It's okay. All I know is, all I know is that I believe that the Lord loves me. And Okay, you're at the foundational place. Great. Seriously, beautiful place to be. Let's grow, amen? Will you commit yourself to grow to the Lord? Will you, get, will you choose to stand up on the side of the crib today? Seriously, and some of us who are way beyond, I mean, infants can have gray hair in the church. Commit yourself to grow, and this means that the Lord's calling you to let go of the old and embrace the new. He's calling you to put off the old man and put on the new woman, amen? You know, and all that, how that works. Practically, turn from your sin, confess it to the Lord. He's, he's, if you're his, he's going to convict you over the darkness. Just confess it to him. He's provided a way. And it might look impossible to get out of. I remember when I was trying to get out of the world, it's like, ah, but I would lose all these things and I just want to be loved or whatever it is. Just confess it to the Lord and say, I turn from it, help me. So confess it to the Lord and he'll forgive you. Find a mature believer, write this down. One, confess. Two, find a mature believer to walk with you. Someone who you can ask questions to who doesn't know everything as well, but who has the humility to not say, I don't know, let's go find out. But someone you can ask questions to, to talk through tough stuff. Someone who will pray with you and pray for you. Amen? Find someone. This is spiritual growth. Turn from your sin. Find someone to walk with who actually knows what they're doing a little bit, more than you. Read your Bible daily. Read it in the morning, in the evening, and during the day. Preoccupy yourself with the Word instead of whatever you're preoccupying yourself with so you can grow again. Pray, read, write down questions. Don't go to the Internet for answers. That's another practical thing. Don't go to the Internet for answers unless you really know what to do. Don't go to, it's not math. Two plus two is four. This is spiritual. You need to be in a flesh and blood relationship with someone in this church. It has to be face to face. That's where you've, you've got to do it. You've got to come ask someone. You've got to talk to them through it. You've got to go to coffee. Do not go to the internet. That's your own little world and no one's a part of it. No one's helping you. Like the Lord's there, but engage with someone. Find an older man or woman um, in the Lord and encourage to them. Um, if you don't know who that might be, come talk to me or one of the elders. Get into a life group. Just consistently meet every week. Just encouragement. Uh, get into a life group where you can be learning to walk in the light together with all your faults and failures. You can pray for one another. You can talk about these things. Get into a life group. They're available. We have life group leaders Reach out to me. I'll point you to them. But I work. Yes, we all do. But it's late. But I, okay, stay in your crib. You want to grow? There's going to be some pain involved. There's going to be some self-sacrifice. I really want you to get up and grow. I want to, I'm talking to myself here. But take a step. God will make the way. He'll show himself strong. Stay in church every week. Be here. That's not legalism. That's just like good advice. Don't play the market. Ah, oh, it's great this week. So-and-so's preaching. I'll be there. Just be here. Be committed to the things of God. Stay in church. Be here. Connect with each other. Reach out. Don't just be the first to come out of here. Connect. Hang out with the light. Talk with one another. Ask how you can pray for one another. Amen? Learn to worship. Learn to be in the Word. Connect with others. Share your faith. But I don't really know much. What you have, give it away. If you only know that the Lord loves you and saved you, give that away. God will use it. And you're going to have a whole bunch more questions after that. <laughs> Share your faith. Lastly, give. Give the best of your time, your talent, and treasures to the Lord, to Him. This is not a call for you to put money in the plate. This is a call for you to put your life 
in God's offering box and say, I'm yours. Lead me and use me every day as you see fit. You have the best. You gave your best for me, I give it back. You might not know much, but you know him. Give it. Give your time, talent, your treasure. That means invest your life in God's people. Look around you. Invest yourself in them. In his plans, what's God doing? What's, what's he a part of here? What's he doing? Get in, get in part, be a part of it. Invest yourself in it. And his priorities, prioritize your, your life as God has given you understanding. Prioritize your life around those things that you know to be right and good according to his will. You might not know very much. God will teach you as you go. Just right now, what he's given you, prioritize your life. If you see a need, meet it. If you see a need, meet it. And your brother and sister, don't go for selfishness. Lay down your life for one another. Love practically. Well, I might, I, my neck hurts. My neck hurts today, so I probably won't be doing a lot of lifting, but other things. What has God gifted you with? Some of you know that two and two is not eight. You know, you can help people. So if you have something, give it. If you have a skill, use it for him, for his people, and as a witness for his work in you and the world around you. These are just some really practical, simple things. Just reminders, you know, of us as believers. We've only got one shot at this, you know, and I want us to continue to grow in the Lord together. So be in the Word together this week. Be in relationship. Love one another. And just watch God might, mightily work in your lives. Amen? Father, we just want to ask that you'd grow us spiritually and that we are all your little kids, Lord, and we're just so thankful for that. All of us who have believed. And God, you have more for us. Help us to grow. Help us to put off the old and to put on Christ. By your grace this week, may we take the next step as we love and obey you. In the name of Jesus, amen.